0: Welcome to Leadership Works, the podcast focused on leadership in our challenging world. Now, introducing your host, Dr. John Bedker, a leader, practitioner, and a scholar. It's a pleasure to have everyone on the Leadership Works podcast. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. John Bedker, host to the Leadership Works podcast. In our last episode, episode eight, I spoke about institutional leadership, specifically about institutional leadership failure. The case of institutional leadership failure I detailed was the failure of institutional leadership in the Catholic Church. Let me take just a quick moment and uh, set just a small bit of additional context from the last episode. Pope Francis, Francis I, the leader of the Catholic Church, was elected Pope in 2013, in large part on his promise to reform this bulky and inefficient Vatican bureaucracy, the organization, their governing body, and ultimately the leadership body of the Catholic Church. I spoke about just two of the many institutional leadership failures within the Catholic Church in the last episode. I spoke of the issue of abortion and the pedophilia crisis, that is the sexual abuse of children by priests and bishops and other clergy. It is a very real crisis in the Catholic Church. Both examples were corroborated with factual data. I concluded the episode with a personal story of my own lived experience regarding the pedophilia crisis. Not that I had any personal experience but I had a connection to institutional leaders in the church and their failure regarding the pedophilia crisis. Well, this episode is about problem solving. I'm going to talk about that in some detail, provide some recommendations, a few insights about problem solving of this institutional leadership failure in the Catholic Church. But let me just begin, as I concluded the last episode, with my personal story and what have I done to be a problem solver. Small, perhaps, but the cumulative effect I think has meaning and value. For my part, I had been a long supporter of a monastery who, as it turns out, unbeknownst to me, and I detailed in the previous episode, was housing and supporting a pedophile a known and admitted pedophile. Well, when I found that out, it was the cause for this podcast, in fact, I withdrew my support for that monastery, both in my human relationship and contact with the monks of that monastery, as well as my financial support. I will no longer support that monastery personally or financially, perhaps small. But I wanted to let each of you listeners know that I recognize that problem solving is not always just about others. It might begin with me. And there I have shared what I have done. Once the problem identification is clear, it's factual, it's corroborated, we know what the problem, and in this case, many problems are, well then the role of the leader is to become a problem solver. You want to do what you can, everything that you can, as soon as you can, because the problems otherwise will just persist. It seems somewhat obvious, but is it important for the leader? you, me, all of us, to have that awareness, situational awareness, important quality for a leader. Well, since the last podcast, just two weeks ago, another diocese, Camden, New Jersey, has agreed to pay $87.5 million to settle over 200 cases of priests in the Camden Diocese, sexually abusing children. This involved over 300 plaintiffs, which is to say over 300 victims by these priests. So even in the mere two weeks, since I brought this story of institutional leadership failure to you, another diocese has come forward, has found themselves in the midst of a pedophilia crisis, and has had to pay out 87 and dollars. So, problem identification in this case of institutional leadership failure is clear, and it is essential to be clear. In your leadership journeys, It's important for you to really, let me emphasize that word, really understand the problem, whatever it might be. Not what you think, but what you know. Problem identification requires a factual foundation. What really happened? And again, really understand that. That's the role of the leader, to do the right thing. To do the right thing, you must know what really happened or what is really happening currently. The challenge of leaders, though, is not to continue to dwell on the problem identification. As leaders focus, must then transition to problem solving. Once the problem identification has been factually determined. A leader must be a problem solver. The Pope, Pope Francis, the ultimate leader of the Catholic Church, wants to reform the Catholic Church. As I mentioned in the introduction, that was really the basis that brought him to be the Pope, to reform this large and unwieldy bureaucracy with pervasive institutional leadership failures. His challenge is twofold. First, to win over many senior clerics, bishops, archbishops, cardinals, the top echelon, the top rank, the most senior clerics in the Catholic Church. To win them over, and to cause them to recognize that it is incredibly essential for the Catholic Church to find its way back to its founding tenets. So first, he must convince clerics, A, that there is a problem, that it has been truly and factually identified for those bishops to hear that and to then recognize the need for change. Second is to motivate Catholics around the world to engage, to speak up, and to be leaders themselves. Simply put, Pope Francis's challenge is to thwart clericalism, the actions and the institutional leadership currently going on by the senior clerics, bishops, archbishops and cardinals and to alter the passivity of the laity. Catholics who go to mass on a Sunday and then simply go home. Parishioners must become engaged in their faith. Priests and bishops, archbishops, and cardinals must be servant leaders, a completely different focus than currently exists. Servant leaders, not autocrats. Both of these present large challenges. Clericalism by clerics and passivity by the laity. So what has the Pope done so far? Well, Pope Francis... declared a number of reforms and let me mention just a few of them. First is the creation of a new constitution for the Catholic Church. This new constitution will become effective on the 5th of June of this year 2022. The new constitution has a series of reforms trying to ensure greater decision-making roles for the laity, especially women, and better protection for minors. The new predicate evangelium, or proclaiming the gospel, fancy words, I know, but these are really the names of the new constitution, will replace the existing one, which was brought on by Pope Saint John Paul II in 1988. So this new constitution, the so-called proclaiming the gospel, is going to be coming out here early this summer. Among the changes, the new charter will allow lay people, not just priests, not just bishops, or not just cardinals, but lay people to head major Vatican offices and to ensure greater geographic representation of staff members. What does that mean? This change could potentially allow women to head a Vatican department for the very first time. Remember what the word Catholic means. The word Catholic literally means universal. All. Everyone. So not just men, and not just men of a particular type. Pope Francis is trying to create a reform by having people of a universal type all have the opportunity to lead. In general, this new constitution calls for a, quote, healthy decentralization. This is to give local bishops, archbishops, and cardinals more decision-making authority, as well as to encourage more communication and cooperation among the various church offices, that bureaucracy. Well, keep in mind from the last episode, this nexus between responsibility and authority. Now, Pope Francis makes the point point about giving these bishops more decision-making authority. Now keep in mind from a leadership point of view, what will be critical in the success or failure is if these clerics also then assume far more responsibility for their actions. So even though the Pope is saying I think this is important to do. He wants to be clear and makes the following statement that authority must not affect matters of, and I'm quoting now, doctrine, discipline, and communion. A warning that individual bishops and bishops conferences cannot stray from core tenets of the church. Well, It seems like a complex sentence, but the message is quite clear and not very veiled at all. It says, you will have more authority, but with that comes responsibility. And that responsibility, I'm going to tell you, bishops, archbishops, and cardinals, is to not stray from the core tenets of the Catholic Church. Again, as I said, a thinly veiled statement to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, straying from the core tenets of the Church. The next major effort the Pope has initiated is a call for a synodal journey. Again, some more perhaps fancy words. This is a, a, a synod that would last two years, the next two years. And A synodal journey is meant in Pope Francis's mind to be a listening journey. Changing the voice of the church from I to us, from me to we, to listen to one another. That might seem simple and straightforward, but it's quite a change for the Catholic church. The Pope is seeking the incorporation of humility and trust from institutional leaders and the laity. Now, to each of you listeners, that is not a small task in the Catholic Church because of this clericalism that seems to be overwhelming, particularly in the United States, and, as I've mentioned, the passivity of those Catholics attending Mass. Now there's a lengthy guide to help in facilitating these crucial conversations. This synodal journey was to begin last October, October 2021 in the United States. Well, how has it gone? Not so well only three of the 196 dioceses in the United States engaged last October. Today, just slightly less than 50% of the dioceses have done something, and let me put that word in quotes, have done something. As example, many of those have put a mention of the Synod's existence on a website to show that they're engaged, but little, if anything, has been done. So I'm gonna talk about an author named Joshua Whitfield who writes for the Ignatius Press. He's made some interesting comments and I think from a leadership perspective, it's important to understand uh, what uh, Joshua, Whitfield is talking about. What he is saying is the Catholic Church is, in a sense, probably not going to succeed at this synod. Why? Because, first, there's a lot of hard work to be done. Joshua Whitfield says, and I'll quote, we should begin by being brutally honest about what is broken and wounded in the church about what needs to be healed and what needs to be destroyed. This seems to be what is missing from much of the synodal process, at least so far. And that's why the people of God, Catholics, see right through it. Their apathy is righteous. So the Catholic Church must do the hard work first before the Sinai really has a chance. Apathy, as Joshua Whitfield says, is real. From my perspective as a practitioner, an experienced leader, an academic scholar, all three of these perspectives lead me to a similar prescriptive recommendation. And this will get, I think, to the heart of the problem solving portion of this episode. To do the hard work, the Pope would need to first address two critical areas of his institutional leadership. Now this is gonna sound a little bit like consultant speak, but it really has value and meaning and I want you to capture it. One, organizational design. And two, organizational team. Without change of each of these, and that's to say both of these, both present the potential for failure of any initiative, particularly one as bold as a global synod. The hard work is to have many crucial conversations about how the institution of the Catholic Church should look. As Joshua Whitfield has stated, the crucial conversations must be about initially what needs to be healed and what needs to be destroyed. These crucial and critical conversations need to occur first. Catholics need to be prepared to speak truth to power. Regarding the organizational team, the Catholic Church's institutional leaders need to possess the values that a leader must possess to permit these conversations. That's a real challenge for a leader. Please capture that, folks the Catholic Church's institutional leaders need to possess the values that a leader must possess to permit these critical and crucial conversations about what needs healed, what needs fixed, and what needs destroyed. The voices of challengers must be heard. Not just listen to, the leaders must hear them. Let me emphasize that. It will apply in your leadership journeys as well. Listening, not enough. Hearing, that's a different thing. The leaders must hear what the challengers are saying. It is only in hearing that the deep and long-standing failures of the leadership of the Catholic Church can begin to be corrected. There needs to be a pro-social use of power. Another fancy phrase. Here's, Here's what it means, though. It means that crucial and critical conversations are intended to help, to be positive, however challenging they may sound a pro-social use of power can promote social acceptance. It is the truth that will set you free. Many of you have heard that before, I'm sure. And with acceptance of the truth, there is a pathway for the church to get back on track. Now that acceptance of the truth is critical because if the institutional leaders are guided, and I would say driven by their all-male, right-wing political agenda, they may not be accepting of the voices of the challengers, of those speaking voices to power, or any of the other people seeking to make contribution. To realign With its values, beliefs, and tenets, the Catholic Church needs to understand the absolute worth and value of the pro-social use of power. This may require a rethinking of organizational design and a rethinking of what is best suited to be on this new organizational team. Who should those people be? What should the makeup of those people look like? The Pope currently has a council of cardinal advisors. He's had one for some time. Among them is a number of very senior clerics, cardinals. It's the highest rank in the Catholic Church below the Pope. One of them is an American cardinal. A man that has fought to ban LGBTQ parents from being able to adopt. He's fought this battle with Catholic charities, Catholic organization in and of itself. Sort of think about that. Catholic means universal. We don't subordinate any person or any group from another. We are universal, all, we, us, which is what Pope Francis is saying. We're trying to change the talk from I to we. But here's this American Cardinal fighting. In fact, was successful in refusing to allow gay couples from adopting children through the Catholic Charities Organization. This same man was to be at a Catholic University graduation in his diocese. Well, a speaker at that graduation and honoree was to be the Prime Minister of Ireland, a country that has supported pro-choice legislation. Now, again, I went into some detail, but this... U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, of course, is quite loud and quite insistent that the Catholic Church is anti-abortion, when in fact it absolutely is not, as I detailed in the previous episode. Catholics are pro-choice, and in so doing are pro-family, because we know that this life isn't simple that terrible, horrific, gut-wrenching decisions sometimes must be made. And we need to make those in the context of all, meaning every person, not the fetus or unborn child alone, but the mother, the siblings, the spouse, the entire team needs to be involved. Every one of those lives is important. Every one of those lives should be valued, not just one, and not one at the subordination of another. But in any event, this cardinal, then, because the Prime Minister of Ireland was going to appear, refused to attempt, wouldn't have anything to do with a person that thought that a woman's right to choose, a woman's right to to understand her legal and religious options should not be allowed. Holy cow. It's important as a leader to understand not just what people say, but what they do, because often there is not a nexus between the two. They might say many of the right things, but what do they do? Well, this cardinal I'm talking about has a stated history of zero tolerance for sexual abuse. It's been quite outspoken, quite vocal about it. Well, a priest in his diocese was abused by another, a different cardinal. Holy cow. The priest reported that through his leadership to the cardinal I'm referring to. And you know what? The cardinal never responded. He put it in a letter, in writing, and the cardinal never responded. And yet he's out there saying zero tolerance. When in fact, one of his brother cardinals was abusing one of his priests. Holy cow. On a new organizational team, people with these anti Catholic values must be removed from any institutional leadership role. A universal church where all are equal must object loudly to this anti Catholic type of of clericalism. And to the extent that this Cardinal or any of the US Conference of Catholic Bishops or all of them collectively might try to advance this agenda and say, oh no, we're right. They are not. We must speak truth to power. The solution, the problem solving though is not simple. What I'm suggesting here today in this episode is far from simple. It's multifaceted, it's certainly multi-variable, and it is often nuanced. There are many good people, many good Catholics, and the Catholic Church must identify these people from whatever gender, from whatever marital status, from whatever sexual orientation and other factors. Find good people. People that will live the values and the beliefs of the Catholic faith. A universal church that does not subordinate or discriminate, that cares for others, that aids those in need, that helps those less fortunate, not that drives an all-male, right-wing political agenda. And with that, the answers are many. The Constitution, I think, is great. A synod, once that hard work is done, would be wonderful. But looking at the organizational design, I think, is critical. It's really highly possible that the church as set up and organized now is not the model for the future. In the organizational team, hopefully I've made that crystal clear. We cannot have an all-male right-wing political organization dictate and provide dogma about what the rules and protocols are when they're inconsistent with the values and the founding tenets of the Catholic Church. So with that, I wanna say thank you it's been a pleasure. This is a very important topic. I hope you listen to both episodes. First one about problem identification and this one about problem solving. Thank you again. Have a great day. Thank you all for tuning in. We sincerely hope you will tune in again to the Leadership Works podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. And, of course, we hope you will subscribe and be a regular listener. Again, thank you for tuning in to the Leadership Works podcast. Have a great day.